You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 30. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. It's Dr. Kieran here with another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Keisha Ewers. I met Dr. Keisha several years ago at a mastermind that we belong to and instantly fell in love with her kind, gentle nature, but also her brilliance. And I think that you will share that love with me once you get to know her. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Keisha. She is an integrative medicine expert, doctor of sexology, family practice nurse practitioner, psychotherapist and herbalist, and she's board certified in functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. Dr. Keisha has been featured at TEDx and Harvard, and she is the best-selling author of Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, The Woman's Guide to Reclaiming Emotional Freedom and Vibrant Health. The Quick and Easy Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook, Anti-Inflammatory Recipes with Seven Ingredients or Less for Busy People, and also Your Libido Story, a workbook for women who want to find, fix, and free their sexual desire. She is the founder and medical director of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program and the host of Mystic Medicine Radio Show. With over 30 years in the medical field, Dr. Keisha developed the HURT model for understanding how past childhood trauma impacts adult health after conducting the HURT study in 2013. HURT stands for Healing Unresolved Trauma, and we've been talking a lot about that on the podcast, so more to come from Dr. Keisha. This led to the creation of the You Unbroken online program for patients to heal their own trauma and the Mystic Medicine Deep Immersion Healing Retreats that she leads. Please help me welcome Dr. Keisha. Thank you, Dr. Karen. It's so nice to connect with you. Yes, I'm so excited. There's so many things that we can talk about. But I think that this HURT study that you conducted and your work around that is really in line with a lot of what we've been talking about on the podcast. We've been talking about ACEs, adverse childhood events, how it affects your health. And I really think that this kind of undiagnosed trauma that we experience in childhood is what keeps us from using the tools to be healthy that are available to us. So I'd really love to delve into that and also the connection to autoimmune disease, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the thing of it is, is I call this the missing piece of the autoimmune puzzle because in the realm of medicine that you and I swim in, you know, which is getting down to the root cause of what's really going on instead of matching drug to symptom and band-aiding things, even in that space, trauma isn't really dealt with well. And I, I always think that, you know, I get so many frustrated patients into my practice who have been following diet after diet, protocol after protocol, thousands of dollars on testing and supplements, and they're still not 100% better, and their autoimmune disease isn't reversed yet. And when they come to see me, it's because they've heard my story that I reversed rheumatoid arthritis for myself, uh, you know, 24 years ago, and they think, okay, then she knows how to do this. Let's go. And, and when I see them, I say, you know, you've been doing all this, but you've been missing this last piece of the puzzle, which is how you're managing your stress and this early childhood trauma. Now, here's the other thing that people don't understand. You know, we talk a lot about the ACEs and you and I can review that for people that are new to it. But I call that capital T trauma. Lowercase t trauma is also present and causes the same changes with inflammatory response in the body and brain changes 
that PTSD does. And I think most people don't realize that. And, you know, so let's delve into that because every one of our listeners has had some experience of trauma, but they always think if it's not sexual abuse or emotional abuse or physical abuse that they haven't. So I always like to really differentiate between kinds of trauma and then help people understand what it's doing to their bodies and their hormones and then how to move past that. Yeah, let's talk about what, how do you define the difference between capital T trauma and little t trauma? So you alluded to the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, which of course was conducted between 1995 and 1997 by Kaiser Permanente and the Centers for Disease Control, and it was the largest study of its kind, over 17,500 participants. And what they were asking about is capital T trauma. They were asking about in childhood, did you experience physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse, neglect of any kind, were your parents addicted to a substance? Were they mentally ill? Was one of them incarcerated? Did they get divorced? Did someone die? You know, and so it's, it's abandonment, neglect, and abuse. These are capital T traumas, okay? But the thing of it is, is our bodies are wired, quite rightly so, to feel like there's a threat of danger if we are rejected. So if you think about that, we actually, in our tribal days, if you got put outside the, the firelight circle of the community, then the saber-toothed tiger could eat you, Right. And so any experience of rejection, and who has not had an experience of rejection in childhood? Not feeling smart enough, fast enough, beautiful enough, you know, any of those things, and comparing yourself to your peers, because we're little humans trying to figure out how to be big humans, there's always going to be some experience of rejection. That is actually registered by our neurological system as trauma. And so, you know, that's, that's going to be more of a lowercase t trauma if it's not perpetual. Then in adulthood, there was a study that was done looking at brain scans of people. And what they discovered is, we already know that in, when you're a child, your prefrontal cortex, this front part of your brain, which is called your adult brain, it's in charge of executive function. It actually is impulse control, you know, and is in charge of what you put on the end of your fork, what's in your cup, how you spend your money, who you hang out with, how you spend your time, and, and also whether or not you're going to engage in self-care. That part of your brain actually shrinks with trauma, and the limbic system, the amygdala, that's your reptilian fight-or-flight part of your brain, grows. So that's PTSD. That's what will show up on brain scans, brain damage. Prefrontal brain, adult brain shrinkage, growth in the limbic system. Well, what this group discovered was that people that report that their schedule is overscheduled, that they're too busy, that they're constantly overwhelmed, perpetually, chronic perceived daily stress, they actually have the same changes in their brain as somebody that has had that capital T trauma. So I always say like, okay, not everybody's had capital T trauma, but everybody has lowercase t trauma in some form. And you're actually causing brain damage even today as you're listening to me, if you are perceiving your life as too much, too busy, too overwhelming. You know, so when I have all of us. I know, I know, I know. Who listening doesn't feel that way right now? Like, well, I don't because I'm aware of this work. (laughs) I know I really want my brain to be intact thank you very much I don't want to be uh batty when I'm old you know and so I gave a lecture yesterday in Chicago and what I was talking about to these new functional medicine doctors is the impact of this constant perpetual perceived stress and this whole room full of doctors of course is on that list right And what will happen to your adrenal glands in response to that, which then will reallocate your progesterone and make you estrogen dominant, which puts you at risk for autoimmune disease and cancer. So this really is that missing piece to the puzzle that people can't solve of why they're getting belly fat. You know, it isn't just a hormone imbalance. It's actually your perceptions of your stress that are causing the hormones to go off the track. 
you don't have to be on constant hormone replacement therapy. You need to fill up your buckets, but you also need to solve this idea of how you perceive your life first and foremost, because the hormones aren't fixing your brain. And so that's really important to remember, right? You can right. Look- and I think, you know, for everyone listening, really hear what Dr. Keisha said, that it's the perception, perception. that you have to change because the world's going to keep on worlding. Your life's going to keep on lifing. But it's how you're perceiving what's happening that's making your brain and your body respond in a negative way. So reframing, you can't change what's happening, but you can change reframing. Right. So how did you, how did you get on this track? How did you become interested in these things? In the (laughs) big T trauma, the little T trauma, healing from rheumatoid arthritis, Yeah, because of my own life, right? I asked all these doctors in this room, yes, you know, this packed standing room only. And I asked everyone who has a story of their own that brought them to this kind of medicine because the standard American model wasn't solving it for them. And 98% raised their hand, right? I am one of those, those people that had to get here because necessity is the mother of invention, right? So when I was 30, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And it was like one of those really interesting things that happens that I have seen repeated over and over again in my medical practice. I have people come in that say all of a sudden they're sick. And, you know, autoimmune disease, we now know, takes anywhere from 10 to 30 years to fully develop. So it is never all of a sudden. Cancer is not all of a sudden. None of this stuff is all of a sudden. And I was one of those people that all of a sudden woke up with 10 extra pounds on my joints, red and flame, painful. It was like the batteries had been removed from the Energizer Bunny. You know, I just could not move. And the way that I talk about it now is it's like uh, Wiley Coyote dropping an anvil from the cliff on the (laughs) Roadrunner. I wish it my life. And then all of a sudden, splat. (laughs) 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 So... I was definitely the roadrunner. And, you know, when I was diagnosed, I asked my doctor as she's ripping off two prescriptions for me. One was methotrexate and the other was a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, you know, which, of course, given to people for cancer, right? Big, strong drug, methotrexate. And she said, take these and when you get worse, not if you get worse, come back and we will up-level your medication. You know, and I said, you know, I actually, I run marathons. I'm super healthy. I'm very disciplined. I will do whatever needs to happen. Is there something other than these medications that I can change my diet? You know, what is it? And as most rheumatologists, even today, are still telling their patients in their offices, she said, I'm sorry, my dear, this is genetic because my grandfather had had RA. And so therefore, you know, close the book, put it on the shelf. There's nothing you can do. You are screwed. And so, you know, I remember driving home thinking, I just don't buy that. There has to be something else. And I was steeped in Western medicine. I worked in the intensive care unit. You know, I was big time adrenaline junkie. And so I thought, there's got to be another avenue here. And so I went home and I started researching and I found an article in PubMed about yoga and autoimmune disease, went to my first yoga class. And then Ayurvedic medicine was mentioned in that class. I went home and I checked in on the internet about what that was. And it turns out that this ancient science from India, (laughs) that's the sister science of yoga, actually said something that was so revolutionary to me, said, we're not all the same. And that autoimmune disease is actually undigested anger. And I thought to myself, I'm not an angry person. I am like, I was a consummate people pleaser. And so I started learning how to meditate. And one day I was going backwards and really thinking about that autoimmune means I'm attacking myself. You know, that means I'm actually killing myself. Is there a time in my life that I wanted to die? So I started going back looking for that, and I found this 10-year-old little girl version of myself who was being sexually abused by the best vice principal of my elementary school. And I thought, that was a time I wanted to die. And interestingly enough, that was exactly 20 years prior to my diagnosis. It was like a turkey timer went off, ping, you know. 
20 years ago, you decided you wanted to die. Took 20 years for your system to catch up to that and agree with you and say, okay, here's your way out. And now I didn't have that wish. I had four little kids, a happy life, you know, and things have changed. So I realized that there had to be this link between that sexual abuse when I was young and this adult health issue that I was experiencing. And sure enough, that's what the ACEs study says, that the higher your ACE score is, the higher the risk for all of our adult illnesses that we see that are chronic in our society today including an unwillingness to take care of oneself because the meaning that you create when you're young is I'm not worth protecting clearly or taking care of, or else I wouldn't be being abused. So therefore I have to take care of everyone else and maybe I'll get some crumbs thrown my way. And I find that a lot of my female patients have that and they don't know it, right? That they're busy caregiving everyone else and hoping that the people that they're caregiving will notice that they need some TLC too, but that's actually not how it works. You know, that you, you need to be able to speak up for what your needs are, set good boundaries, take care of yourself, you know, and that whatever anyone else provides for you is actually just a cherry on top, but you have to do the foundational care. And a lot of women resent that. They don't like that, you know, so you bring up so many important issues in your story. And I, I do find that most of us, 98% who do this work, we're, we're really wounded healers and we become right. leaders once we find the answer to our own health problems. And yet, and still, there is more beyond just the functional medicine. So treating the body as a physical um, Newtonian physics type yeah, right. Reductionist. Uh, we're really an activity like Deepak Chopra says. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we are ever evolving. Uh, so those of us who do this work and this is one of the huge missing pieces. 80 percent of consumers of functional medicine are women. We're really the leaders when it comes to healthcare in general in our country uh, and certainly when it comes to functional medicine. And I agree. So many of us, myself included, had that uh, kind of caretaking where we thought we would get our needs met by caring for others, but really it's, it's that put your oxygen mask on. So I'm very interested to hear how did you do that for yourself once you realize this and how do you help your patients to come to this realization? So I used to be the really nice person and I'm not anymore. That, that's a big one. <laughs> Are you a bitch now, Keisha? Absolutely. And I would say, please enlist your inner bitch because in, in a, in a person who is a people pleaser, that's what it feels like. It feels like, because the strategy you created as a child was to be hyper vigilantly reading a room, watching out for other people. It really does feel like almost like a bitchiness when you say no to somebody or you set a boundary. And so I get, I, I tell women, please like find that aspect of you and it can be your inner bitch, or it can just be somebody that's firm and is able to speak up for themselves. But sometimes you really have to reach down deep to find that part of you. And it doesn't need to be with a bunch of emotion. In fact, it, the healthy way of doing it is just saying, you know, no, that doesn't work for me, but I could offer this and make everything a negotiation the way that it, you know, ought to be in the first place. But saying no is difficult for women. And so I'm always like, okay, I need you to practice being an inner bitch, like bring her up, practice giving her a voice, because at the end of the day, she's not what you're calling her. She is the part of you that went into a dissociative process when you were young And you left her behind because the thing of it is, is that we don't have a prefrontal cortex that's fully developed until we're 26 years old. And so in my study, the HERT study that I conducted when I was 2000, when it was in 2013, I actually explained why the ACEs study is what it is. So when we have these undeveloped brains in childhood and we're trying to figure out how to be big humans, but we're just little humans, then... When we go through an experience that we can't understand, and it doesn't have to be like full out sexual abuse, which actually a quarter of us have gone through. It can be something like 
one day you had three girlfriends on the playground and then the next day you know they have turned on you and now they're talking about you or you're not allowed to be at the lunch table in the group that you thought you were with and you don't understand what just happened you know or you don't get picked for the volleyball team or whatever it is you know we all have these experiences yeah and so in those moments if you don't have a well-attuned very good attachment uh uh, caregiver right in that moment to help you navigate that experience you're going to make something up and this is the truth when we're kids we make stuff up to explain what's happening for us but it's with a brain that's not fully developed so it's and it's always going to be self-centered because until we're 26 we actually are self-centered that's our job we're supposed to be figuring out how to be human so we're very self-centered so it's going to be stuff like I'm not good enough right? I'm not whatever it is. And so what will happen is we make up that meaning and then we have a belief that gets attached to it. And then we have a behavior that we create as a strategy to move past that to get our needs met. So an example is when I was a kid and I was in fifth grade and I was being sexually abused, whenever the intercom in the corner of the classroom would go off, okay, this was in QS, Florida, and it was uh, open air classrooms. And so it would crackle to life. And I could just instantly, it was Pavlovian, feel myself go into fight or flight, right? Because we said the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. You know, we stood up, the intercom went off. We stood up, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. The whole Pledge of Allegiance, I was in a fight or flight because that's how I got called to the principal's office. So every once in a while, it would be a call for me to go down to the principal's office. All the other times, I would go into this panic state, right? And so when I was searching around for why is this happening to me, I remembered the vice principal saying to me, you're, you're a bad white trash kid. And so I was thinking, oh, I'm a bad kid. This is my fault, right? So then the, the behavior that I put with that belief that I have to be perfect to even survive is I became a perfectionist. And so this is the thing that science now shows us is that actually, <laughs> Everybody with autoimmune disease has some perfectionism in them. And that's really, really important to remember. And so being a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist has helped me reverse my RA and it hasn't been back. It was gone within six months, but I had to go into those places and I had to do trauma relief therapy. I had to rewire my brain. I had to reframe my story. You know, and today I'm at this place where RA is the best thing that ever happened to me. People don't like hearing this, but sexual abuse is the best thing, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because the way I am in my development today is that these are things that were given to me by life to help me progress and evolve. And, you know, now I can turn and I can teach others to do the same thing. That's not a place you get to right away. You have to go through the process. You have to, you can't leapfrog over. You actually have to go through the brain rewiring, the reframing of your story, the reclaiming of your power. And then just like Joseph Campbell's journey, you get to the end of that and now you've got some wisdom. But I always think about life as a spiritual gymnasium and these big challenges, the ones we really don't want are the ones that are like the weights that we have to pump in order to get a good bicep muscle, right? You can't just go like this and get a good bicep muscle. You have to put a weight in that hand. And so that's what like stress it. To stress it. And so, so that's that's one that was my stress. Every single person has their own and there's no human that gets out of life alive without having some huge challenge that they have to move through and gain wisdom from. So that's why I say that. Well, let, let's unpack this because I know there's some people listening going, what? Sexual abuse was the greatest I thing. No, I say uh, it makes people's hackles rise a little bit, but it's, it's a place like people that have breast cancer and they come through it. They will usually say like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me because my gosh, look at what I had to learn, right? Life forced so what, me to learn. What did it force you to learn and, and how did you do that? Because there are people listening who have had abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, and I find that that's present in a lot of women, especially with weight issues. Yeah. Um, 
what was it that you had to learn and what do you find that people need to learn who have autoimmune diseases, who have undigested anger? For a lot of people listening, that's a new concept. I was talking with a new client yesterday. She's been going from doctor to the neurologist because she has migraine headaches and to the gastroenterologist because she has this perpetual nausea that she can't get rid of. And they've scoped her on top and they've scoped her on bottom. And no, you know, they've done everything to her. She has ADD and she's on medication for that. And nobody has talked to her about that. These are all related. Nobody's talked to her about well, what can't you stomach in your life that you feel like that you're vomiting and feeling nauseous and right. who's really a giving you a pain in your head? You know, what is it about your life? And she looked at me like I had three heads. So this is really, this is revolutionary. It's commonplace to us. Right. But I want you to really well, share I that. Really, I, I wrote solving the autoimmune puzzle yeah. for this reason, because it yeah. guides people through in these easy to digest chunks that you can take at your own pace with worksheets that go through like, okay, here's the first step. And then what came out of that? And now if you're ready, go to this next step. And it's really a nice way of moving through that. And then I have a program called You Unbroken that you just do on your own online again you process it in your own pace and I present this knowledge to you in chunks that you can take in at your pace right because like I said you can't go from a to z you have to go through this process of slowly assimilating and it's just like you know one of the things Ayurvedic medicine teaches is that your feelings and your experiences and your memories and your beliefs they have to be digested just the same as your food And so it allows you to digest it at your pace, right? So you can get the nutrients from it that you're meant to get. And so absolutely, like you're spot on. And and sometimes people that are very spiritual or religious will have heard that they are supposed to forgive whoever was their perpetrator. And so then they give them this lip service forgiveness, but they still have disease, which means they haven't gone through, they've gone to this, what's called spiritual bypass. They haven't gone through the process of really developing what was supposed to be the learning part of this. And I, the the way I think about it is you're always mining from the same shaft for your, your gems, your pearls of wisdom, your gold nuggets, Right. And that you'll keep going to that same place, but at a different level of understanding and development in yourself as your consciousness expands around this. So yeah, it's brand new for a lot of people. And that's why I wrote Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle. Read that book because it will take you through step by step by step. Yes. And do you think that ultimately the lesson that we have to learn and people listening, you're not going to learn it just because we say it, but it's that you are worthy, you do matter, you belong, all of these self-worth issues is that we have to grow into the truth of our worth. It's so true. Um, In 2017, I participated in a vision quest and I was out by myself on a mountain and I got struck by lightning. And I had this near-death experience where I left my body and I got drawn into this light that started becoming a grid of light. So there were little bars in this geometrical design. And as I got closer and closer into this grid, I was shown that each of that, those bars of light were one of us. Each one represented a human. And some of them were dim and some of them were brightly lit. And what I got was the importance of our lives individually and as a collective. And that it is actually not optional. We have to show up to our purpose. And if you've had trauma and sexual abuse in your past, you have to heal it. It's, it's not even like you can't stay in a victim space. You have to heal it because our life on planet Earth actually is fed by this grid of light. And if it goes out, we die. And that's happening. You know, so many people are getting... So that they're just spending time binge watching Netflix or, you know, they're, they're self-soothing with alcohol and drugs and, and food. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that we get our lessons from the challenges life gives us. And the biggest lesson is you're important. You are so important. And your yeah. life is just so meaningful. And I know that I 
knew that on a certain level, but until this particular experience, I didn't have it on a visceral, in every cell of my being, in every fiber of myself, understanding and knowing this. And I still have this sort of, when things get too hard, I just really want to die. And that's, that's kind of an autoimmune thing. And it's not like I'm suicidal, but I would really like to pull the covers over my head or there's Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. I'd really rather just sit and watch Netflix and eat that, you know, <laughs> it's too hard. And so, and I find a lot of my patients have that and it's a, and it's like, okay, no, this is really, really essential that you show up, right. That you do your work. And so life, you know, we always think that these uh, challenges are being done to us and that we're victims of them, but actually they're being done for us. And uh, the other thing I really got was that for every perpetrator we've had that's hurt us, we have also been a perpetrator for somebody else. And that that's really important to remember that we are here to teach one another. And sometimes we act in the role of the person that hurts somebody. And sometimes we are in the role of being hurt. And there's a lesson on both sides of that, that each of us is supposed to assimilate. And that was really miraculous to understand that on such a deep level. So, so much rich information there. And um, I, I can identify with a lot of it as an abuse survivor as well. And having those kind of go-to de facto, oh, this is just too much. Um, one thing that really helps me is to remember the butterfly effect. And mm -hmm. that if a butterfly flaps its wings on this side of the world, it can change weather patterns on the other side of the world, or if the butterfly doesn't flap its wings. And so that's how important each and every piece is. And so my part is important. Right. And each person has to play their part or the whole doesn't uh, work. And nobody's more important than the other and nobody is better than anyone else. And in fact, we are each an aspect of God, you know, and so if we can recognize the God in each other, then we understand that when somebody was really awful in how they hurt you, that actually, if you can see the God in them, then you can see that there was something that they were giving you in that process for your own wisdom that would come later in adulthood. And that's why I say that, you know, each of the things that we experience is not done to us, it's done for us, for our own expansion and growth. But we have to really uh, embrace that, you know, that concept that, oh, this is like a giant schoolhouse. And I have these developmental levels that I move through, and there are 10 adult developmental levels. And you can't just read about them and move through them. You actually have to go through the big breakdowns. And then you come out like, you know, when a chicken is being hatched out of an egg and it breaks mm -hmm. through that shell, it's such hard work. And if you've ever seen a chicken hatch, at, you know, the little chick is lying there just exhausted or a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It's for an hour or so, it has to weakly, you know, it's just very weak and it's flapping its wings to dry them off. And it's very vulnerable in that moment to, you know, from getting eaten by birds and things. And so that's how we feel when we go through each developmental layer is we're weakened. It's been really difficult. It's almost crushed us, but then you come out stronger that you have to do that with the consciousness and the intention to do so. Otherwise, you can just keep getting stuck and staying in these repetitive cycles. So if you understand that, you know, each time you have a breakdown, it's to be celebrated. Then when life hands you a big challenge, it's not so much of a, oh, why me? It's like, OK, next level, you know, and <laughs> let's do this, you know. <laughs> Yes, it is like it's like a video game where you go from level to level to level and you're spiraling up and there are always new challenges and something I read about recently that's really fascinating to me is that if you try to help that butterfly come out of its cocoon by clipping it, you kill the butterfly. Right. Right. And so for us caretakers, we have to remember that, you know, we want to help everybody. And a lot of times I find it's because we don't want to do our own work, but we've got to do our own work to get the strength. Right. 
So I want to shift shift gears a little because I know that talking about libido in women is a big part of what you do. You help women regain their libido, and it's a big concern for a lot of women. I talk to women every day who are having struggles with that. So let's talk about that because I find that a lot of women, one, they assume that they have a testosterone problem, and that's probably a la... um, a show that was done by Oprah many years ago, where she had on a woman who talked about testosterone. It's probably also in part due to the fact that the American College of OBGYN basically says when it comes to hormone balancing that you do what the patient wants. So there's no standard of care for checking hormones, for evaluating them. And that a lot of people are not aware that their overall health and cortisol has something to do with it. So that's just my brief two cents, but I'd love to hear your take on Yeah. So in my study, in the HERT study, um, not only did I, you know, I shared that first part of it, but what happens is if you there, when you have this, this HERT in childhood, right. And then you get this belief and this behavior, and then in adulthood, people can come along and they can push that button over and over again. The one that says, I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough or whatever it is. Right. And if And then I have on the model, it bifurcates and you have a choice every time you have a challenge that over here, if you are not willing to self-confront and move through this early childhood stuff, then you get sick. And one of the ways that sick shows up in the beginning is fatigue. Another one is brain fog and another one is low libido. And then over here, you have an opportunity to self-confront and do all this work we've just been talking about, right? And then your illness can actually reverse and libido will come back online. So the way that I think about libido is Ayurvedic medicine has this word called ojas, and it's life force vitality. Chinese medicine has jin. And we don't have a direct conversion in the English language or in our model of healthcare that really replicates that vital force energy. So I chose the word libido and I went back to school and I got a doctorate in sexology because I kept having women come into my office who were asking for bioidentical hormone replacement. And when I would ask them very simple questions, like, so when's the last time you had a libido level that you were happy with? Oh, I never have. Right. You know, and I say, well, you know, hormones aren't going to bring that online because if you never have at the time when your hormones were raging, when you were 16, then that means that there's something else happening here, right? Or I would say, do you like your partner, your sexual partner? And then often I would get these tears and, you know, he had an affair five years ago or he's not emotionally connected to me. He's always gone. And I would say, my darling, Estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone do not help this problem, you know, and so, and then, or, you know, that I I don't go to sleep because I'm working and I'm also taking care of my children or I'm caregiving a special needs child or, you know, you name it, I'm back in graduate school and I just don't have any energy left. And I always say hormones are not going to help this. So I went back to school and I did the study in response to not finding anything in the medical literature that reflected what I was seeing in my office, which is women are so much more complex than a lack of testosterone. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I came up with this model from my research that shows five root causes of low libido. And I'm going to say again, low life force energy. Because I always tell people, I don't really care if you're not having sex, if you don't want to have sex, maybe you're in pursuit of enlightenment, or you want to be the very best, whatever that you are in your life, and you want energy to do that. That's what I'm talking about, is the energy to make a choice. So I'm writing a book about this right now, The Libido Care, and I have a program called The Libido Care. And and I talk about these five root causes and, you know, one will be physical and it's the stuff that we always think about like thyroid disease or diabetes or medication side effects. You know, the number one root or a side effect of a serotonin reuptake inhibitor antidepressant is low libido. And what do doctors give to women with low libido? A serotonin reuptake. <laughs> You must be depressed if you don't want to have sex. Right, so, I mean, you're crying because you don't have libido and it's affecting your marriage and you're about to get divorced. Have some Lexapro, you know? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And so, you know, there's that. The stuff that's obvious, surgery, chemo, radiation, you know, stuff that can interfere with your libido. 
But then you have these other four root causes. There's mental. Do you have a healthy relationship with your body? Or are you body hating? You know, what is your body image? Do you have a healthy dynamic in your romantic relationship? You know, do you believe your husband won't love you if he sees you naked? Or, you know, if you're in a same-sex relationship, same thing. And, you know, what, what are the mental pieces? Do you feel fear in your relationship? If, if you feel fear and you are trying to have libido in response to coercive sex, you're not going to have libido, you know? And what about emotional? Were you hurt emotionally along your libido map? So as you were um, going through your childhood human growth and development and your exposure to sexual material and your own um, libido, were you raised in a sex positive culture, household, church, you know, um, peer group? What happened to you along the way affects you in your adulthood. If you were told from the pulpit as you were, you know, in very formative years that desire is a sin until you get married and then you get married and you're supposed to turn the faucet on, it doesn't really work very well. You know, it's like that faucet's rusted shut because of what's happening up here. And then there's the spiritual aspect, you know, are there myths that you have that you can't be sexual and spiritual at the same time or good girls don't or, you know, the, the Madonna whore complex. So, and then there's your libido story and how you tell it. And there are two different kinds of libido. There's innate low libido and acquired. If you've had great libido up until the time you're 50 and you're going through perimenopause and menopause, and now all of a sudden you don't have any libido level, that's when bioidentical hormone replacement is probably very useful. But also you have to know where your adrenals are at because as your ovarian function goes to sleep, your adrenals are supposed to pick up the slack. And if you've been chewing through all your cortisol your whole life because you're a high stress kind of person, then you're not, there's not going to be anything left to hold the bag, right? And now you're going to have vaginal dryness and intercourse will feel like you have cut glass in your vagina and all of those things, right? So there's just so much to this. And the other thing that I always share with people is that there was a study that was done that I just want to, I share it with everyone from stages, wherever I teach. And I want all of the world to know this study. And it is that 69% of women that are in a committed relationship of a year or more will no longer have spontaneous sexual desire. I want everyone to... That doesn't mean you're broken if you're not in the mood. So if you're in a safe relationship, you love your partner and you have had desire and now you don't and you're frustrated by it and it's affecting your relationship, what you can do is you can actually have arousal first and desire can follow. Women can do that. Men can't. So this idea that you have to be in the mood, are you always in the mood to go work out? I know that I'm not. <laughs> I do it anyway. Are you always in the mood to eat healthy? I know that I'm not, but I do it anyway. Exactly. And so I don't love cleaning my house, but I love what it looks like after. And I love how I feel inside of it. And so, you know, this is really important. Your relationship requires that same kind of attitude. You do not have to be in the mood to have sex, but this is what's going to prevent you from having stress urinary incontinence when you're older, you know, when you cough and sneeze or jump up and down and you lose urine. If you are squeezing around something every day, you don't have to be in a relationship to do that. You can actually buy something to squeeze around. If you're doing that every single day and working out your vagina, it's a muscle. I always tell women, take your vagina to the gym every day. You have to keep it safe. Take your vagina to the gym day, ladies. Right. That's my little statement. I've trademarked it. I love it. Take your vagina to the gym. And so <laughs> I love that. But just for everybody listening who's not aware, yeah, you have these pelvic floor muscles that surround the vagina. They also surround the bladder and help to hold it up and the rectum. And right. You can contract those. Those are called Kegels. And actually, they, you know, it's called a lot. And lock. Kegels don't work. You, just like going like this doesn't work, you have to put a weight in it. That's and that's, 
that's what a penis can be or it can be a benoit ball or it can be a kegel master you can buy on amazon it can be a sex toy you do not have to be with a partner to take your vagina to the gym but you do need to work it out the same as you do your core muscles and your arms and your legs really important I yeah. love that. And that study, that's amazing. I yeah. actually, I was not aware of that 69% of women. 69%. So if you can uh, will yourself into action and then know that the desire and pleasure will follow, I think that's, that's huge for a lot of women listening. They think they're supposed to have those spontaneous thoughts. And, right. um, and it's wrong. I am not in the mood every day. In fact, I'm rarely in the mood, you know, and because I'm the busiest person that you know. And so I always have a million things that I ought to be doing in my head, but I have sex every day, every day. And I remember it, you telling me that and just being well, amazed. It's, awesome. it's the same as making sure I get my dogs out to exercise them every day. I get my vagina up and exercised every day. <laughs> I love that. And, and, it, and I love that you really highlight that it's not about your sex hormones. And that's what I, I tell women, your sex hormones are necessary, but not sufficient. Right. You've got to have a whole host of other issues resolved and on board. And to me, a lot of those come through cortisol and affect yeah. how your cortisol is. And what is your life force? Because cortisol is really our yin, isn't it? But cortisol is only <laughs> under the control of this. I, that's what I gave a 90 minute lecture to doctors about yesterday is it is your perceived stress yeah. that signals from your cerebral cortex, what's going to happen next in your body. So your cerebral cortex talks to your adrenal cortex, which releases that cortisol. So actually what's in your head goes to your bed. It's another one of my little <laughs> your head goes to your bed. You're full of these great one-liners. I love it. I have all these little lines that I've trademarked because I'm like, look, this, <laughs> if you will remember this, it's really important. <laughs> What's in your head goes to your bed. I love that. These are great and it's great information. And I could talk to you forever. You've covered a lot of material and given so many gifts to everybody listening. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you, I'd love for a guest to share top three take action steps that they can, things they can do today to start moving towards health, whether it's regarding uh, big T trauma, little T trauma, or autoimmune disease, or their hero's journey, or their libido. What would you love to leave everybody with that they could start doing today? The first thing I really like to tell people is to watch your language. And I'm not talking about shit, damn, and hell. I'm actually talking about the language you use to speak to yourself. So for 24 hours, track your thoughts and the way that you speak to yourself. Do you speak to yourself as kindly as you would to a stranger? And how many shoulds are in there? Are you shooting all over yourself? You know, really, are you giving yourself the permission to live the life that you really want to live? Or are you shutting yourself down? And whose voice do you hear in your head? If you had a dysfunctional relationship with a caregiver in childhood, and that authoritarian voice is always there, go ahead and go fire it, you know, <laughs> fire it. Your child self needs to have a more nurturing caregiver. And you are the only one that can give that. Because you're the only one that knows the language your child wants to be talked to in, right? Exactly. Yes. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is, you know, the science, if you were to Google the science behind gratitude right now, you'll come up with 26 studies instantly. 26. I Googled it yesterday before my talk. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, people think of it as kind of foo-foo-y. A lot of my patients would rather take a pill than do this kind of work. And, you know, you just really have to get that, those tracks laid down in your head by really doing the work. And so when you wake up tomorrow and when you go to sleep tonight, what I want you to do is I want you to go to sleep having 10 things that you can find to be grateful for. It can be the head that you have that can be laid down on the pillow and being grateful for the pillow and the bed and the roof over your head and the heat that's keeping you alive and warm and the food that you just got to have, you know, just really get into that minutia. When you wake up in the morning, the eyes, 
that get to open and see the world. Be grateful for the teeth that you get to brush. You know, it's, it's amazing the feet that you get to stand on and find the things to be grateful for. And then thirdly, sign up for my quick start program. It's 21 days because 21 days is a habit of emails that come in that give you really short, easy to implement hormone hacks, I call them, and ways to start reversing autoimmune disease and trauma. They're very easy and we need that. We have the attention of, you know, gnats these days. And so we're all very busy. So I designed this very nice little 21 day series and you can find it on my website or you can do drkeisha.com forward slash quick start. It's a quick start program. Yes, and we'll have the link in the show notes. So drkeisha.com forward slash quick start, all spelled out, no spaces, but we'll have the link in the show notes. And thank you so much for for sharing that with everyone. I know there's a lot of good information in there. And lastly, I'd love to share you for, for you to share with everybody. The podcast is called Her Brilliant Health, which has a lot of meaning to me, but I'd love to know what does that mean to you? You know, it's that grid that I talked about going into it, brilliance that each of you is, you know, shine with your brilliance, show up with the brilliance that you have. You are the only one that has the brilliance that you were endowed with. And it's, it's just like nobody else has it. And so don't compare yourself to other people. We compare and despair. Show up in your brilliance. And Dr. Karen is giving you this beautiful gift of this podcast for really being able to do that. And I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Keisha. Very many blessings for the work that you're doing. Look for your book, The Libido Cure. Next year. Do that next year. Great. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.